This is, this is very conversational, and it's, uh, it's, not, a, it's not a preach. It's, uh, it's thoughts around the prophetic and worship, best discussed with good coffee. So we've all had some good coffee, and, and really that's what it is. I want to provoke you. I want to uh, get you to be thinking, asking questions, and all sorts of things like that. And, and it, it really is true that I don't have a musical bone in my body. I really, really don't. When I, when I sing, I know that I'm sounding wrong. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Do you know what? If anyone ever experienced that, you obviously don't. You all worship people. But, that's, but worship is not about singing. Singing is a part of worship. Worship is about a, a posture, a, a way of living. It's a way that we orientate ourselves. So we're going to get going. Um, I want to just show you um, some, some, a quick little slideshow. We're going to start with that. Just five slides. Just look at them carefully. Okay, what, what did you see there? Oh, what, what was happening there? Those were, those were six photographs of worship taking place. Okay, powerful pictures. Do you know that only two of those were in a church context? The other four were music concerts. But worship was taking place. You see, we, we are designed to worship. That's just what we do. If you are not intentional about what you worship, you will worship what grabs you. The world will give you something to worship. It's just the way it is. You will worship something. And you just have to go to uh, a rock concert. You have to look on social media. You have to just look around you. And you'll see people worshipping something. And hopefully in church, you see something different. Now, the powerful thing is, is that we were created to worship, but there's an intentional intentionality required for us to choose to worship the one who created us. And the one who sent his son to redeem us, to Give us a new covenant that we can live a covenant of freedom and where there is no punishment. The, the thing is, is that the difference between the, the rock concert and the church concert wasn't in the what. They were all worshipping. Even though if you asked the, told someone at a rock concert, do you know you're worshipping, they'd, they'd deny it. But that's what they were doing. The difference was in the why. It wasn't in the how. They were all doing the, the worship. The difference is in the why and what they were worshiping. Sorry, I got that wrong. And so it's really, really important that we, we come up to like sort of 10,000 feet and understand that there was always things clamoring 
and shouting loud for your worship, for all of us. But as church leaders, as worship leaders, it is our job to steward what is happening in the congregation and turn that to the Father. It's very, very powerful to do. Very, very powerful. Now, in, in people's lives, the, as I said earlier, the difference between the rock concert and the, the worship concert was the why, why people were there. People go to a, a worship concert to worship the, ping, the king. People go to a worship con- I mean, rock concert They're not for all different reasons, but the, the, the significant difference, they're all worshiping, the difference was the why. And what I want to say to us is that in life, when our why gets a little distant or we forget what it is, life gets very murky. And I want to say that if you've been in church long enough, your why can get very murky without you even knowing it. Suddenly it can be about church and not about the king. Suddenly it can be about your friends and not about Jesus. Suddenly it can be about a whole lot of other things that look Christian, but they're not the main thing. And suddenly our why gets dropped down. And when our why gets dropped down, before we know it, worship is a chore. And leading worship can be a chore. And I want to use, I want to use an example of marriage. You know, uh, many, many moons ago, I was a, a coach, a life coach. And one of the things that, that for my sins I specialized in was, was marriage intervention. So when, when people like blew their marriages up for some reason or another, and, and Greg will will smile at this, he probably knows all this kind of thing, but people would blow their marriages up, and I'd done this, this course on how to quickly fix somebody's marriage, you know, a guy, a guy named Tony Robbins, and um, I don't know if he's a believer, I think he might be, but that's not really, but he, he had picked up a whole lot of things, and what he would basically say, that when marriage gets into problems, when a marriage gets to the stage where you kind of feel like you're hating each other. It's very rarely about love. Love hasn't disappeared. It's not about love. It's about the operations of the marriage. It's about the day-to-day that's gone south. You, have, you stopped living together well, and you do that for long enough. Suddenly, you don't feel like you're in love. And, it was, and so the issue is never really with the big things. It's always with the day-to-day. So what started out, when you get married, your husband does these things and you think it's really cute. You know, after 15 years, it irritates the hell out of you. After 20 years, you want to kick them out, you know what I mean? But, but that's, that's what happens is the familiarity, it's the, it's, the, it's the mechanics, the day-to-day that cause us, and in marriage, we end up forgetting a why. Why am I living with him? Why am I doing this? It's more pain than it's worth. And next thing you end up separating or doing whatever. And it's the same in, in church and community. When we, the operations of something go wrong and we forget why we're doing it, our why becomes distant and suddenly we think, why am I doing this? And so I want us to come back to the why and I want us to remind us about the why 
And I want to point out some really key things. So the most important thing is how do you know that your why has become a little murky? How do you know that it's a little distant from where you were? You kind of say, this is hard work. Anyone kind of felt like that? Like church sometimes is hard work? The moment that you have forgotten the privilege of leading people or worshiping God, it's a little sign to your heart that your why has got distant. That you've dropped your eyes and you're looking at the operations of what you've got to do and you forgot the, the ultimate privilege. And it is so easy to get there. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you don't adjust that, you'll end up in burnout somewhere along the line, getting offended and stepping away. That's just how it is. It's so, so important. So if you've lost your joy for what you're doing, if coming to church on a Sunday is not a joyous thing, there's some, you've, you're, you're doing it out of obligation or because you've, you've, you've stopped seeing Jesus. It's not the privilege anymore. It's not like the... Do you know what a privilege it is to lead people to Jesus? You know what? You, know what you have shifted somebody's life for eternity. You know, I always use the analogy that this... You know, if you, if you fly overseas, or it used to be in Durban, when you, in the olden days when you'd fly, you'd kind of... If the airplane was far away, you'd get to the uh, airport and they'd put you on a little bus. You know, it's sort of like you're all standing there like sardines and off you go to your thing. And funny enough, in America, what you think is like the, the most advanced... They have the most buses if you travel around America on these little, these little taxi buses. And I sometimes say that our life is like the bus journey to the plane. It's a two-minute journey, and everybody is fighting to get the best seat for this two-minute journey. And it doesn't really matter. What counts is what ticket you've got for the 16-hour flight that's coming. And, and sometimes when we, we lose, lose the big picture, we like squabble. And I've seen people squabble over seats, you know, in this little bus. And it's a two-minute journey, and they're pushing each other and having an argument. And I'm like, guys, it doesn't matter. It's what seat you got there. Are you business class, first class, economy plus, or you're like me right at the back in economy? You know, that's, it doesn't matter. And so it's really, really important that we, we keep our eyes on the big picture. Can I just say to you, while I'm talking, if you have a question or anything, please raise your hand. I want this to kind of be interactive. I'm going to get into some stuff now. So, your joy. You've lost your delight. I want to also say, if, you, if you're starting to get frustrated because you're not kind of getting the recognition you deserve, or if you're serving extra and no one's noticing, immediately you're serving for the wrong motive. And it can be hard sometimes. And, and sometimes I think the Spirit of God allows these things to come up in our hearts and the problem's with us. It's not with the leadership or the team leader or whoever else. The problem's with us and it shows us these things so we can process them. Go and sit with a good friend or a, a trusted leader and say, I'm really angry with the way they're doing that. And if he's a true friend, he'll probably give you the slap of a friend, which is the kind of slap you can get when he tells you, hey, actually, you're the problem. I had that once, my, my years and years ago, after about three or four years of marriage, um, my wife and I really didn't like each other. 
you know, and um, she was saying, we need to go and see someone, we need to go and see someone, and I was saying, no, it's fine, we'll sort this out, we'll sort this out, like any arrogant man, you know, we never give a man directions, he'll find his own way, you know, until he's totally lost. Anyway, eventually I was like, okay, I'll go. And I said, but I'm choosing the person. And I, I, I knew one friend of mine who was a, an elder at, at Red Point or VFC in those days. And I said, we're going to go and see him. And she said, fine, let's go, you know. And we kind of, she told her side of the story. I told my side of the story. And I, and I, and I knew my mate had my back. You just know, you know. It's like a, it's like a bro thing. He dropped me so badly. He basically just looked at me and said, Hilton, you're actually the problem. I was devastated. I was offended. If I could use it, I was pissed off. I really was. I didn't want to speak to him again. I was like, this, uh, anyway, I walked away, and my wife didn't say anything in the car back. I was like fuming. Like, and I got home, and I was thinking about it, and it dawned upon me that, and he, was, he was really was my best friend, that he had enough courage to tell me the truth and not what I wanted to hear. And he saved our marriage. I don't think we would have been, if I carried on the way I was going, we wouldn't be married. But that was a powerful course correction because it was a slap of a friend. It was horrible. It wasn't fun. But it was probably the most beautiful thing a good friend has ever done to me is tell me the truth when it was hard. And he he told me afterwards he, he knew that I wouldn't like what he had to say. And we probably, he thought we'd probably lose the friendship. Yeah, that's how immature I was back in those days. And, um, but no, and, and so go and speak to somebody that can speak truth to you, can help you through a whole long journey of pain. Okay, so, so lack of recognition when you notice that, or even when, when you start to feel like this is just, it's tedious, it's really tedious. And, and I also want to release you and say there's seasons. There's seasons for being on team. There's seasons for stepping away. You've got to know what, what in God. But if, it's, if you're just serving out of obligation, not that serving is ever wrong. It's always right to serve. But this check why, why it's an obligation. Check that. Okay. I'm just going to take my jersey off. Any questions around that? Any observations? You come. There was a hand. I saw that. No, I'm joking. Is it is it true? Can you can you understand that? It's so so important. And and, and you know that's the difference between having twenty five thirty years of impact. You know, I read I think yesterday. I don't know if you know Tim Keller. Anyone know who Tim Keller is? You know, he he went to be with Jesus yesterday. He, he planted a church in, um, in New York City, Presbyterian church, old school Presbyterian church in the center of New York City and grew it to 5,000 people, you know. So just in the most, probably the most worldly place in the world. And um, he finished strong. He's finished strong. He's serving Jesus, loving Jesus. On his deathbed, he was like, he was saying he's so looking forward to meeting Jesus while he was waiting to die, you know, he was just like, it's finished strong, it's beautiful, it's, it's like, and you just know that moment he heard, well done, good and faithful servant, well done, 
and 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 the joy of finding out he's probably got business class. <laughs> okay, so what I want to do, as I said, remember I was saying to you that in, in marriage, it's the operations, it's the how you do things that cause all the problems. It really, really is. With your friends, you love them to bits. When you have a fight, why? One of you have done something wrong. It's the how you, it's, the, it's not what, not, they're still your friends, but it's the operations, it's the day-to-day that always causes all the problems. HR departments in work and office, all they're dealing with is people who have got the how wrong. Or the, you know, that's it. So I want to talk about some hows that we need to be aware of. Is that okay? Now, if you disagree with me, that's good. Have a conversation. This is super powerful stuff. And, and I'm, I'm going to be talking from a perspective of ministry, but it, it applies to all life. So whether you're leading on a worship band, leading a home group, preaching, if you're in ministry, if you're serving people, you're giving Jesus to people, this is pertaining to you. Okay. Number one in ministry, it is almost impossible to take people to places where you never go or you've never been. Could you imagine going to Tokyo City and hiring a guide to take you around the city and you find out this is his first day in Tokyo and he can't speak Japanese? Can you imagine the, the catastrophe that's going to be? He has no idea how to do anything. It's, it's, just, it's just going to be unpleasant. And it's even worse if he's trying to keep up a facade. Hey, I've done this all the time. I know what I'm doing. Like a typical sort of male, you know. Hang with me. It's going to be okay. I'm not lost. It's just going to be a catastrophe. And in the same way, if you're leading worship, you can't take people where you haven't been or you don't go regularly. You just can't. It's not going to work well. It's like, it's fake. And so, in many ways, for worship leaders, do you know that you restrict the congregation's capacity to encounter God by your capacity to encounter God? Because you can't take them anywhere you haven't been. So if you don't go places, you can't take them places. It's interesting, hey? They're going nowhere where you haven't been. Oh, these guys aren't going anywhere. Which is a hard set. Oh, these guys. And there are times like that. But mostly, you're talking to yourself. I'm preaching. It's probably difficult. These guys aren't listening. <sighs> I'm normally the problem. Okay, so you, it's very hard to take people anywhere where you haven't been. Second thing, so important, especially for, for, for preachers and worship leaders, people that are up front, your joy is your responsibility. Your joy is your responsibility. You cannot fake joy. You can fake a smile, but people can see it. You, know, you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't feel everybody, fool everybody all the time. This thing of fake it till you make it, I mean, 
it can work once, but you know, you, ca you, can't, you can't fly by the seat of your pants week in, week out. It's, it's, you're going to crash and burn horribly, and it's going to be ugly for everybody. But your joy is your responsibility. And, and we ha to have joy, you have to go to the source of joy. You have to. You have to be in his presence. You have to know him. You have to, be, you have to come from there. You know, when you, when you, as a worship leader, in one sense, if you think of it like this, this is, this is true in some ways, you are like the mediator between heaven and earth. Now, everyone has access to heaven, absolutely. But in a worship context, you are like the mediator. You open the door for the congregation to be there. So if you haven't been there, you can't open the door to there. You need to come from there to open the door to invite them to come up where you are. Love that revelation. Come up here, and I will show you some things. It must be the, the voice of a worship leader. Come here. Come with me, and I'll show you some things. We'll see him. We'll worship and we'll stand in awe, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. If you haven't got that, if you kind of stand there, oh, this is going to be hard. Hey, you know what, these, these guys aren't going anywhere. And I'm being silly, but I'm creating, and it's the same for preaching, it's the same for ministry. You, you have the responsibility to carry joy. You need to come here carrying joy, full of joy, and, and people will respond to that. Bill Johnson tells this beautiful story of training hunting dogs. You know what hunting dogs do? You go hunting with dogs, and you go with, you go with your dog, and you go into the marshes and whatever, and you've got your gun, and the dog's cleverer than you, and he can see better than you, and he can smell better than you. So he goes along, and he sees the bird before you do the duck. So he stops, and he points. He's a pointer. And he kind of tells you that's where the bird is. So you get your gun ready, and then the dog starts to go towards the bird that he can smell. And next thing, the bird gets scared from the dog, flies up, and bam, you've got some dinner. That's how it should work. You know, so Bill Johnson does this. He trains hunting dogs, and off he goes. And he says, to train one hunting dog is, is not a difficult thing. But when you want to train two hunting dogs to work together, you've got to teach a whole new thing. You've got to teach the dogs to honor the point. So the two dogs are going, and off you're going in the marsh, and the one dog smells the pheasant or the duck or whatever it is, and it stops and it points. You've got to train the other dog at that moment to honor what that dog is seeing and that dog is smelling, to just pause, dead still. Now this dog can't see can't smell, there's no sign of presence of that bird. But that dog knows. And then slowly this dog picks up what that dog is smelling, and they both point. And so in worship, it's the same thing. You should be the first dog. You've seen something. You've seen it. You're pausing. You're pointing to Jesus, and we're like the second dog. We come along, and we can't see anything. We can't sense anything. But I look at Brandon when he's worshiping. I know he's encountering Jesus, just looking at his face, and I can enter in if I learn to honor that. And so we have to be that for people. And you can see that there's certain people, and I, I don't know, if, maybe I'm just a visual person. When you're in worship, 
starting off and you know, your mind's here, your mind's there, you're trying to get, I better do something, you know. And suddenly you look across and you see either on the stage or somebody over there, they're encountering Jesus. And I just focus on them and in a moment I'm shifted and I said, Jesus is in this place and I can meet him too. Bam, I'm in. So we have to be that. We have to be the pointers. We have to know his presence. It's her joy is our responsibility. Carrying his presence is our responsibility. Is that all right? Cool. The second thing that's going to trip you up. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I just, I just saw Julia Mandel in that kind of space, because whenever you look at her, she's, she's pointing and opening up something of what God is doing already. She's worship leading from wherever she is. And we can carry that whether on stage or not. Are we pointing? Are we, see, are we sensing what the Holy Spirit's doing and saying and modeling that? So, but I just wanted to like honor her as well, you know? And, and that, that's true. It's, I mean, I, I, she's one of the people I always look to. I'll just like look right. And then I'm, I'm in his presence, you know? It's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing when your, your children overtake you. It's, it is the delight of a parent. When you one day, when you have your own children, it's just, man, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Right. Number three. This is the truth. If you're in worship or in ministry or in church leadership, the odds are very, very high that you have got a very high significance quotient in your life. That means that you want to be significant, you want to do something significant, you don't want to just live your life and blah. You know, you want to change the world in some way or another, whether it's in, in your home, you want to shift people, you, want to, you don't want to just be normal. That's just, that's just the way it is. There's something that, of significance in us that is beautiful because it drives us to step into something and not just be mundane. But there is another side to significance that will totally trip you up every single time. And so we have to, as worship leaders, as ministers, we have to deal with our need for significance. And the only way we deal with that is allow the, the Father to process things in our hearts. So when, when Greg's leading worship and the house, it just takes off, the presence of God is here, and it's just absolutely amazing. And Brandon's sitting in the front row thinking, oh, Flip, how am I going to do better than this next week? Cheapest. It's like, oh. And so he's robbed himself of enjoying the presence of the God, a presence of God, the presence of the Spirit, because he has a significance issue. It's like he's got to be better than Greg, or he just, he's got, he's, he's got to, he only feels like he's doing his job when there's a real sense of God's, when it's like amazing. Can you see that? We have to process that. And the way 
you, it's, it's not something, when you're young, it's not, it's not something you can do. You're not just, it's going to be there. Your, your motives are going to be mixed. That's just how it is. But be aware of it and have people that speak to you. So when you do something, when, when you step out and you try and do something, you break into a song, you do something prophetic, you bring a prophetic word, have friends around you that can say to you, hey, was, was that really God or were you, were you trying to prove something It felt good or, or hey, that was amazing, I love the way you did That speak truth to you. That's, community is so powerful. And what we do is we, we, hide, we in, inoculate, we insulate ourselves from community. Those are the people that will tell you the truth that you need to know. It's so helpful to know when you've got, a, got an issue in an area. You can process it and deal with it and move on. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Our need for significance or our brokenness is the enemy that we can fix. So that's really, really important. Let me say this, that our high unmanaged significance needs are like kissing cousins to a fence. They hang together. They shouldn't be, but they're together. They shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but they're together. When you have high significance, you'll always end up carrying a fence. And if you carry a fence, you'll always end up in deception. That's just the progression how it goes. And how do you know if you're carrying a fence or not? Has anyone ever thought that? What is the plumb line to know if I'm carrying a fence? Anyone got an idea? Sorry? Okay. Uh, I suppose that could be. That could be, yeah. Sorry? Okay, yes, that, that could also be. The key thing to know whether I'm carrying a fence towards someone is whether I can celebrate in their victories. That's it. So, if Hilton... I don't know, gets appointed mayor of Durban, and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know. When somebody gets more than, or somebody gets what you were going for, it's, just, it's there. And I think the, the, the flicking and the withdrawing are all subsets of that. Offense is a horrible, horrible thing. It robs you of being joyful. It robs you of celebrating. It robs you of being backing people. The most powerful thing we can do is celebrate our friends' victories. And, and especially those... Now, can I just... I want to help you with something too. Do you know if somebody's not running in the same lane as you, it's very easy to celebrate the victory. So if you're a worship leader and somebody's a, a preacher, when they do amazingly, it's like, hey, that's amazing, well done, that's brilliant. No problem. Do you agree? But if you're a worship leader, and they're a worship leader, and they're just exceeding you in everything, what looks to you like they are, that's a whole different thing to get behind them and say, well done. And if you can't, that's showing there's something here. Because can I say this? That your inheritance has got nothing to do with their inheritance. So I can walk into the fullness of mine. I can become the president of South Africa or the highest of highs. It doesn't detract one cent from what Brandon has. God has for Brandon. So that way he can celebrate whatever I get. It doesn't take 
anything away from what God has for him. All it does, if he can't celebrate for me, it robs him of enjoying what God is doing through me. I mean, I've got a friend. We, uh, I'm in business, and it's, we started a business. It's really difficult. You know, business through COVID started just before COVID. It's, it's hard. It's tough. Anyone in business? And I've got friends. They, they started this business, and it's like, wow. They're doing like 20, 30 million rand a month. You know, and it's just the most amazing, amazing thing. I'm like struggling with my little tuppence here and tuppence there. Do you know that whatever they walk into is not going to stop me walking to what I have? So I just can choose to celebrate and enjoy and delight in what they're doing and love their testimony and walk in that and blow wind in their sails while I work out my stuff. It's okay. Really is okay. And it's so, so powerful. If we can get that, it'll, you know what it'll do? It'll just take a whole lot of complicated relationships off your shoulders. It makes life simple. Just celebrate people. You don't have to get jealous. You don't have to get this. You don't have to get that. Just celebrate them. And when, when you can steward other people's success, it really tells you you're ready to enter into your success in that realm. Okay. Is that okay? Right. The fourth thing is in any realm that you're operating in, you operate under indelegated authority. Okay? Do you know the centurion had the sick kid like Jesus and Jesus? He said, hey, I understand authority. I say this, that happens. He was under authority, and he knew who was under him. So in every realm we operate in, we under-delegate. We get given an authority measure to operate in, and that is our sphere to operate in. And we need to know that sphere, and we need to stay in that sphere, because when you operate outside of what has been delegated, it's illegitimate authority. You know, like, I mean, a simple way to explain it. If you in Zimbabwe and you're driving in Zimbabwe, and next thing you have those blue lights come behind you, wee, 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 pull over, and a Durban city policeman pulls you over and says you're speeding. You just laugh him off. You know, I mean, whether you're speeding or not, you shouldn't be speeding. But he has no authority in Zimbabwe. He only has authority in Durban. So he's exercising illegitimate authority. You can say, adios amigos, I'm out here, and you just carry on in your journey. And in the same way, there's authority that we operate in that's legitimate, and there's an authority that we operate in that's beyond the scope of what we've been given that becomes illegitimate. And so when you're worship leading, or when you're prophesying, or when you're ministering, you need to know what the scope is, or what you're allowed to do, and what you're not allowed to do, and what's good and what's bad. It's super duper, super powerful. It really, really is. So, we've all understood the, the concept that leadership is like a covering. Do you understand that? So, Good leadership is like a covering in our lives. It protects us. Bad leadership is like a cap. It restrains us. Make sure you're in an environment of good leadership. So it's your covering. It doesn't restrain you. And in the same way, make sure that the people that you lead, you're covering them, not containing them. It's helpful. And we all lead people, hey? We all lead 
Okay. So the next point I want to make, I was, I was uh, watching an interview, which was this, and I can't remember where I saw this, probably on YouTube or something like it, was this, this brilliant concert pianist, and they'd, they'd just played at the Albert Hall or something or wherever, and, and the interviewer was, was interviewing them, um, it was kind of like on stage or to the side of the stage, straight after the concert, and they were just... And the, the, the woman interviewing the guy, was, was, she was like, she was so moved by this guy's music. You know, she was, she was almost in tears and started the, the interview. And, um, and one of her, like, second or third question was, you know, I'd give my life to play like you play. He looked at her and smiled and said, I did. This is the point. You have gifting and you have the skills that you've been given. And the most beautiful thing in a worship person, a worship leader, is when their gifting is, matches their skills. For 90% of people that I know, their gifting is ahead of their skills. So it's like this. If I could take any worship leader. So guys... I'll take you on, an, not me, I'll get someone to take you on a six-week training course, high-intensity training course to up your skills. When you come back from that, what would happen? You'd take off. You'd go to another level. Why? Because your, your skills that you presently have with your instrument or your voice or whatever you do is holding back the gifting that you carry. You could go further if you allowed your skill set to match your gifting. I mean, Greg was telling us of a, of a concert he went to, just incredible gifting and incredible skill set. They could play music well and they were gifted. There was an anointing in their lives. And so for most of us, the, the issue is around our skills. So as a preacher or as a prophetic person, my, the skills that I need to up is my theology skills the knowledge of the word, where I'm going, how to, how to speak well, how not to speak well. Those are things that I've got to practice and develop so that it matches the anointing that I carry. And it's the same with worship leaders. Our freedom is not free. Do you know that? The freedom we walk in as believers. Do you know it wasn't free? You know, Jesus paid a price for our freedom. He died so that you could be free. It was an incredible cost. If you want freedom on your instrument, it ain't free. It's going to cost you. And that's just how it is. Freedom costs. If you want freedom in your voice, if you believe that's what's something that God has called you to, suck it up, step into it, and begin to exercise it. Because it needs to match the, the anointing that you carry so that you can minister to people and change people's lives. It's a beautiful thing when you see someone who's anointing and gifting all just matches up and they just flow. It's just, they just unlock people. They do things that are just, you know, like if I had to get up and try and, I mean, I learned to play bass guitar once because I wanted to, and I kind of got to one song and I, re, and I stopped. And the reason why I stopped was I realized that to go from this level to the next level was like 10,000 hours. 
And actually, that wasn't my calling. And it was, it was just something I wanted to learn. And I said, that's it, done, walk away from it. You know? But if that's your calling, if that's what God's got for you, then, then discipline yourself so that you can bring yourself to freedom and others to freedom. It's the operations of worship. Hey? I mean, when you're on, the, on stage and the Spirit of God's doing something, you feel like, hey, you want to move to another direction, and suddenly, well, no one knows that song, no one can play that song, just crash and burn. Or you get someone coming to give a prophetic word, and they don't know what they're doing, the presence of God was there. You ever had that, that thing when there's a real presence of God, someone shares a prophetic word, and it's like, oh my goodness, where did Jesus go? that person wasn't, hadn't stewarded what they carry and kind of didn't know what they carry. It's just, these are just, I mean, it's, it's real, it's practical. It's so important for us to be aware of these things, you know. The next, next thing I, I want to say, and this, this can be a tricky one, is you need to know the anointing that you carry. You need to be aware of that. And if you're not aware of it, you will you'll fluff it. But, but you need to know, I know what I carry. And, 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 and can I just say this, that I am not the most prophetic person in Glenridge Church. I really am not. There are people that operate in the prophetic far higher than I do. They really do. I look at them and I'm, I delight in it and I'm amazed in it. But that's not what I carry. I'm a prophetic father. That's one of the things that I care, and I walk with that. And I love it when other people step in and go in. But I know what I am, and I know what I'm not. If you don't know what you are, you won't know what you're not. And then you'll compete in all the wrong areas because you don't know what you carry. And if you don't know what you carry, you don't know what you bring to somebody. When I meet with Brandon and I want to give him some input or something, I know what I'm giving to him. That's not my phone. Just checking. And when you when you're not, you, we have this we have this love hate relationship with humility in the church. We kind of think we need to be humble. You know, you know what humili- true humility is. It's not putting yourself down. It's just being true to who you really, really are. So if I'm brilliant at something, being okay with that is fine. Chris Vallotton tells this really cool story. He was at a church service. They're visiting the church. And he was ministering. There was this, this girl on, she was leading worship. And she was, she was absolutely amazing. She was like, she nailed it, you know. So, excuse me, after the service... He goes up to her and he says, oh, I just want to compliment you. That was, that was really, really amazing. And she gets all sheepish. And she says, well, <laughs> you know, like sort of girls, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. And he looks at her and he says, no, it wasn't that good. <laughs> when somebody compliments you, thank you. I've been working hard at that. And that encourages me that because I've been working at that and you see that fruit in my life, I'm encouraged. Thank you. More powerful? <laughs> know what you carry? It's not, it's not being proud 
to acknowledge what you carry. If I can walk into a room and shift the atmosphere and I know that, is that being proud? What is it? It's knowing what I carry. If I boast about it everywhere I go, that's another problem. But if I just know what I carry, it's okay. And can I tell you, that's why I say we have this love-hate relationship. Know what you carry. Know what you bring to an environment. And then bring it unapologetically. And you see it played out on stage. So I'm, I'm going to pick, you know, it's so easy to pick on other people when you don't do that. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can, you know, have you ever worked on a computer when someone's looking over your shoulder telling you what to do? They can find all the things you're trying to find. You know, it's over there. Okay. And then... And, and it's, it's like that. It's easy when you, when you don't have skin in the game. But. So, we'll have a prophetic moment. Somebody will pick up something. They'll step into something. And it's like, there's this expectation of the spirit coming forth. And it starts to go, and it starts to go. And suddenly, reality bites. And the person leading just steps away from this microphone starts to sing in the, and backs back down again. They don't know what they carry. They don't know what they were bringing at that moment. And suddenly panic came in. Like, am I stepping beyond? Am I going to be wrong? They don't know the sphere. That, all those things play out and stop you stepping into what you're meant to be. And so at that moment... Let me, let me reframe it. Let's say Hilton's got a word. Let me use myself. And I, and I feel it's like a, a, it's a, it's a word that's going to change the whole direction of the church, you know, or the meeting. And I'm like humming and hawing. And then, as I, okay, I better go and give it a start. And then I stop. And I think, jeepers, if this is wrong, I'm going to look like a nana. You know, or maybe I go up and the guy leading the meeting says, hey, Hilton, thank you, but no, thank you. Go and sit down. Or then I'm going to even you know, do the, the walk of shame, as they call it. It's not the walk of shame. It's the walk of obedience. You know, it really is the walk of obedience. So what do I do? I'll allow my insecurity, my not knowing what I carry, to silence me. So well done, Hilton. You have just been responsible for everybody not encountering the presence of God in Sunday's meeting. Every time we're disobedient, we rob somebody of encountering God through our disobedience. Because we are ministers, we minister the presence of God. We minister to God, we minister to people. So whenever we don't minister, we rob somebody of something. See, it's not about you. You fix your stuff so it can be about other people. Jesus humiliated himself to become a man so that we could become like God. It's not about us, it's about other people. And as soon as we understand that, we lose this horrible love-hate relationship with humility. Do you know, who was the group of people that Jesus despised the most? Pharisees. What did he call them? Hypocrites. Does that ring a bell? You hypocrites. Do you know what the root word for hypocrite is? Huh? To pretend. To play. To act. So when you're not being yourself and bringing what you carry and who you are, you're being a hypocrite. 
And Jesus doesn't particularly like hypocrites. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Okay. Right. Number six. The prophetic is not always spontaneous. And the spontaneous is not always prophetic. Can I say that when we have in our thinking that the spontaneous is prophetic, we limit ourselves to one inch deep encounters with the prophetic on a Sunday morning. But when we understand that actually, you know, God can be brewing something in you, hold on to it. If he gives you a line of a song, I suppose, and, or a little thing, and you hold on to that. It doesn't have to be a whole song yet. Get it going, going, and add on to it, add on to it, add, and you have something, and you have maybe three or four different ones. And you're in, in worship, and suddenly at that time, you know, that's the thing. for the, You've already got something that you've, 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 you've built up, you've, you've been with, and you can share it. Same with the prophetic. It doesn't have to be that post-garlic um, pizza moment that brings the prophetic word in the Sunday. It can be something you've been stewarding for months. And you feel like this is a season in God. This is a season in God. You see, if we think the prophetic is spontaneous, we rob ourselves of the prophetic seasons and we go for the prophetic moments, which are very, very powerful. But the prophetic seasons are more powerful. Is that helpful? So because, because you rehearsed it does not make it not prophetic. In fact, your set could be the most prophetic thing you do, sticking to your set and not going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It, and it also might not be. It does, it's not spontaneous or not spontaneous. We just assume, oh, it was prophetic. What are you saying? Oh, you had a spontaneous song. Well, it might not have been prophetic. It might have been awful. It might have been shocking. It might have just been somebody needing significance. Just got up and sang a song. Do you know what I'm saying? The, the thing that makes it prophetic is not that it was spontaneous. The thing that makes it prophetic is that it speaks into people's lives and it shifts people. Is that helpful? So free yourselves from, from having something on the moment. Work on something. Work on a couple things, even if they're just little lines, and you keep them in your armory. Keep them there for a moment when the Holy Spirit can use them. It's the same thing. Why do you learn Scripture? So you can give people Scriptures when they need them. Do you know what I mean? It's so, is that not prophetic? It would be the most prophetic thing to give somebody a, a Scripture. That's just a scripture, and that's the most powerful thing. And also I want to say that it doesn't have to be deep and long-winded to be prophetic. It really doesn't. Okay. Just want to free that, free that from you guys. And then the final point, <coughs> and, and, and this, this is more for, for worship leaders and people choosing songs. Can I say, because it's a Christian song, it doesn't mean its theology is good. Theology matters. There are some songs that we sing that the theology is shocking. If you actually analyze it, you shouldn't be singing that. Some of the beautiful old songs are amazing, but their theology is shot. Some of the new songs, 
are beautiful, but their theology is even worse. It's an inch deep. Theology really, really matters. Re look into the song. See what it's, see what it's actually saying. If, yeah, but it's a great song. No, it's not a great song if it's not saying good things. You're getting the congregation to sing lies. It's not going to work well for you. And there is a lot of lies in Christian music. Seriously. So theology matters, and if you're not sure, check with elders. Hey, I want to sing this. What do you think of this song, this news? And I think that's why people, when new songs come out, I mean, let me just tell you that one of the, the blessings of, to the church is the whole Christian worship movement, and it's also one of the curses to the church. It's both and, because it gives, it gives such beautiful things, but you've got to wade through it to find out what's, what's good and what's not. So it's so powerful. Check what the theology is. Really, really is. Super, super duper. Okay. Right. So what I want to do now is open up for a Q&A, and, um, and then I want to finish off. So the whole idea of this is to be questions and answers, thoughts, what you're thinking, how does a prophetic fit in here? How does worship fit in there? This is a good time to have questions. How does leadership on a Sunday, and, the, and how does the person hosting and the team leading, how does that interplay work? These are all powerful questions. Any questions? Greg. Hilly, on the, on the thing of humility, um, I know that the enemy often will try to lie to people about their ability and what they carry and don't carry. How do you raise that esteem when you're below where God sees you? Okay. That's, that's a very powerful point. So, this, the two hardest types of people to pastor is those who think they're better than they are and those who think they're worse than they are. You know, so if it's, it's really difficult if somebody, I mean, in a, another church that I was at, we had this lady who would come up and give singing contributions. She really couldn't sing. And it was not like there was, there was anointing in, what she, in her, her voice. And she would, she would just linger and she would go on. And eventually, kind of, the, the leadership had to sort of speak to her. And she, she actually took it quite well. She thought, well, I thought I had a good voice. No, you actually didn't. And you don't. But we'll help. If you feel that's what your ministry is, we'll help you with voice training. You see, it's, it's very difficult to be honest to people and crush their dreams. But she was not called to be a singer. That's it. The flip side was what Greg actually asked. How do you get somebody who's thinks beneath themselves. Greg, it's, it's a long and involved answer, but the core, the core issue is this. On both things, when you think you're above yourself and you think you're below yourself, it's actually pride involved. Pride is this. Pride is when you think your opinion about yourself is more truthful than God's opinion about you. Hilton 
you really are able to preach well. Oh, no, no, you, no, no, no I, I couldn't do that. No, you don't know what it's like. I get nervous and, oh, no, I'm not a good preacher. What I'm doing, I'm elevating my opinion about what I carry and who I am above God's opinion of what I carry and who I am. And that's called pride. And at the root of that, which we'll talk about with that, is fear. Why won't you stand up and go and do something? Why won't you step out? When the worship happening and you feel something, what is the thing that holds us all back? Embarrassment. What's another word for embarrassment? Fear of man. That's the biblical term for it. Basically, fear of what people will think of me. So basically, I've got an Instagram curated profile that I want to keep. And I don't want anyone to see underneath that. So if I get up and try and sing, and it's a dog show, well, I've just blown up the six months of curating my profile that everyone thinks I'm really cool. Now they know I'm not. So I won't go there. That's the fear of man. If I want to hold on to my dignity, I have to let go of the cross. I have to. I can't hold both. And there comes a time, and I think it's a a maturity thing, where you realize that I need to choose between my dignity and being true to Jesus. And he will give you your dignity. You see, is it Thessalonians 2? Jesus didn't think it's worthwhile, and I'm totally going to horse this up. It is Thessalonians, eh? Yeah, holding on to God, seeing himself equal to God. But he humiliated himself, and then the Father exalted him and put his name above every name. There is a a dignity that I can earn for myself that is flipping hard work because I made it and I have to keep protecting it. And whenever people think they, and that's why we build walls so people don't get in and see the, the true me. And then there is a dignity that the Father gives us because he exalts us. But that, and then that's free and no one can ever take that away from you. People can see that from wherever they are. And you know people like that. We all know people like that. There's a dignity about them that the Father has given them. So you can choose work hard for your dignity or delight in the Father and let him raise you up. But it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're young. It's flipping difficult. I want to say to you guys, it's not like easy. I'm 55 and I'm still finding this hard. If I was 17 and encountered this, it would be difficult. You know, life is, life is tough. It really, really is. Yeah. As, uh, as Hilton, as we're talking about this, I'll just get this picture. I'm just going to step out in a limb here. I just see David. David's like the ultimate worship person in the, in the Bible. Okay. David was a, a young man, a young boy, that his own family did not recognize him. His own father. When Samuel, it was Samuel, eh, the prophet, that had to, God said to Samuel, Samuel, go to Jesse's house. The next king is there. So he stands there and he's like, 
Jesse brings his sons. Obviously, the, the big guys and, and Jesse's, even, even Samuel's like, this has got to be the king. And God says, no, it's not him. Anyway, in that story, we see that like Samuel's like, no, God said you're the, the next king is here. Do you have any more children? Oh, yeah, yeah, we've got David. He's out in the field looking after some sheep. God sees things in people. The world sees things differently. David wrote songs before it was cool to write songs. David worshipped God out in the field before it was cool to worship God in the open. There was a character thing that God was building inside of David. And it was in time when God said, it's time I'm going to lift, I'm going to bring you out. And as there is that tension that we need to wait in God's seasons. But as we're waiting for God to, I just feel, because like Hilton started off with the thing of, um, we all want significance. It's not wrong to want that, but it's got to be in God. And I, I just got a sense that if we are as David's, when nobody sees that we are stewarding our hearts, our skill, in time, God will lift you up. We must not fall prey to the thing of what we see on YouTube. We've seen these churches are, and it's just like we want that but without the price, without the stewarding that God wants to do. He, wants, he, he doesn't want a, a, a people, a, a worship leaders who think little of themselves. He wants to raise people up who will shine him. But it takes a people who understand that it's stewarding. Does that make sense? I hope I made sense. One, two. Um, I just want to encourage Brandon just with what he shared, because when I was coming here this morning, I just really felt David, and in the hidden moments, that is when God is doing the greatest work in us. So I just wanted to encourage, I just felt many people here, you feel like you are in those hidden moments, and there's a frustration in your spirit. And just to hold that tension of just what God is doing in your character is profound. So just stay hidden until he brings you, you know, forward for, so I'm looking at you because <laughs> your daughter, I've just forgotten her name, Cam. <laughs> so I do, I feel Cam, especially for you, you know, there's been such a faithfulness in, the, in those quiet moments of just waiting on God, and you fought the bears. So I feel like also what he's teaching you, and those are spiritual battles that you're fighting. You're learning how to slay the giants. Because if you want to stand up here publicly and slay the giants, you've got to learn privately. Do you know what I'm saying? And I know your dreams and things you've had, and God is teaching you profoundly. So this word is not just for Cam. I'm just highlighting her, but there's a number of you here, that, um, and for you too. 
Also, I did. I saw you. I saw you as a David, as a as a as a mighty warrior in God, and you have been so faithful. There's such an anointing on you when you sing, and I just want to commend you. You are remarkable. There's a character that God is just doing. He's really He's doing a profound thing in your heart, and I want to just say, stay the course. Don't look left. Don't look right. Stay steady. And, and for, for, for many of you, it's just be there for the presence of one. When you stand up, when you're in your living room, it's you and Jesus. When you stand up here, it's just you and Jesus again. And he's just, yeah, so I just really want to encourage you for, for many that can relate to that story. And I feel what Brandon picked up was just so profound. It was spot on. Yeah, so what, what I think we, we need to do for you is, I think we need to test that word. So if you could just get on the stage and dance naked. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know what he does in the shower. <laughs> Guys, the point of doing this, of doing the hard things, of, of getting the operations right of our lives, of how we worship, is so that we have utter freedom in his presence. So this, this, this church has, I've been in this church for about five years or something, but there is, a, there is a deep well of the prophetic and a deep well of worship. Back in, there was times when this church was on the forefront of what God was doing in worship. And I feel like God is wanting to do that again. He's wanting to bring that again. And, and you know how that happens? That happens between you guys and us dealing with our stuff so that we can step out. So that we can expect God, the presence of God to come and, and the manifestation, the manifest glory of God to move, to shake, to knock people. The people are getting saved just walking into the thing. That happens when we're hungry. That happens when we've encountered God, when we know what it is to deal with our stuff so we can expect God to move. And so it's not, it's not we don't do this. Wholeness is not the end goal. You, know, you don't deal with your stuff because that's what you've got to do. You deal with your stuff so you can be free in Him and, and, and delight in Him. We need to have dancers on the stage. We need to have prophetic people bringing life and releasing life. We need to see healings happening in this community. We need to see those things. We need to see worship leaders breaking out into a, into a prophetic, spontaneous song that brings, that there's manifestations of deliverance in this community. People getting the presence of God coming on and people getting delivered because people know how to steward the small and get faithful with that, deal with their stuff, and they can walk into the big. Your capacity to steward the presence of God is determined by your capacity to be obedient in the small things. I mean, the, the kingdom of God is weird. It's not, it's not fair. Do you know that? You read the parables about stewardship. It's not fair. The guy who had almost nothing that got taken away from him. It's like shame, and he was the poor guy. He needed, we all needed to chip in and, and give something to him. No, the people that stewarded, who had something and stewarded and looked after, they got given more. You need to steward what God's given you. 
And you need to steward it for the purpose of the, not for Glenrich Church, for the kingdom. Because as we steward it and we allow his presence to come, people getting set free, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people waiting for that we, if we work and do our job, we, we at least owe them an encounter with the presence of God. And if we come on a Sunday and it's, oh, this is hard work, this is dreary, oh, here we go, another Sunday, let's, let's, you know, three fast, one slow, one very slow, and then we'll just drift into a preach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shoot me now. But, but you know what, familiarity breeds content. We do this every Sunday, so you're kind of like, this is what we do. You've got to find your joy. This is not about church. This is about the king of kings encountering his presence, of things happening, of people being changed. And we have that in this community, in small things. We've just got to deal with our stuff and allow God to use us and process us so we can step out. You know, nobody got healed in Jesus' day without Jesus intentionally doing something. Nobody got raised from the dead unless Jesus saying so. You know that. Nothing happens without us partnering with the Father, with the Spirit. He wants us, people aren't going to get saved. How will they get saved if they do not hear? We're not going to encounter God's presence unless we carry His presence. And so that's what I want to encourage us. That's what it's about. We can get thinking, oh, it's about discipleship. It's about doing this and it's about sorting my life out and living a good life. No, for heaven's sake, like Greg said, shoot me now and take me home, Jesus, I'm ready to go. Luke 4. Jesus, coming out of the wilderness, goes to the temple, picks up the scroll, and you know, they'd read a section of the scroll every, every week. So it happened to be, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And what we are his hands, and we are his feet, and the church is his body. So that scripture falls straight onto us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring freedom, set the captives free, bind up the brokenhearted. That's what rests in us. That's what we need to carry. And worship creates an environment for faith to grow, for people to encounter the presence of God. But we need people prepare to risk it, prepare to live their lives, not unto themselves, but unto the King of Kings. Amen.